0: Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to today's episode of Rao Pao Real Vision. So we're going to do something different with this interview. This interview is with Evan Chang, who um, is the co-founder. He came out of Facebook uh, on the Libra project and is the co-founder of SUI, which is one of these giant new um, layer ones. And I think it's a really interesting ecosystem. But the issue is here is, I'm actually sit on the SUI Foundation um, here in the Cayman Islands, advising on where they allocate capital um, to develop their ecosystem. So I need to step aside and let Santiago Velez, who's much more knowledgeable in in the complexities of of new layer ones and protocols to talk to Evan and we can figure out ourselves what you think of it all as well. So again, I'm trying to be impartial and make sure that everybody's aware that I do have a vested interest in this. There's obviously no money change hands to do this or anything else. It's because they're a new large player. We've also had Aptos who uh, also came out of Facebook. They've been on the platform as well. It's all in the general manner that we believe that things should be done at Real Vision, which is everybody should have a voice. Okay, I hope you enjoy it. The world of crypto is an incredibly exciting journey that we're all going on together. We don't know where it's leading to, but we know it's going to be absolutely massive. Join me, Raoul Powell, as I guide you on our adventure to discover just what this new world will look like.
1: Welcome to Real Vision Adventures in Crypto. Uh, Obviously I'm not Raúl, not as good looking, but I'll do my best to fill in today. Uh, You know, full disclosure, Raúl has some positions in uh, the company we're gonna discuss today in the uh, the, uh, ecosystem, so he invited me to uh, speak objectively and explore this project for everyone watching. Um, So I hope that we can all learn something together. Uh, This is the first time I'm doing a deep dive on this project, Uh, so thank you for joining us. I'd like to introduce today Evan Cheng, who's the co-founder and CEO of Mistin. Welcome, Evan.
2: It's my pleasure to be here.
1: Excellent. So let's first start off with kind of your personal background. Tell us a little bit about you, how you got into this space, Web3, blockchain, crypto, uh, and, and then we'll get into a little bit of a deep dive on the protocol itself.
2: Yeah, so sure. Uh, I've been in the tech business for now... I'll say about 26 years, uh, did a bit of startups, uh, early in my career, then joined Apple for 10 years, where is, that's where I made my mark. Uh, you know, I was the person who is in charge with a lot of very, very difficult, low level, bare metal type of software. Uh, and I, I received a 2012 ACM Software System Award for my work, uh, along with my, my colleague, Chris Lanner, um for my work in LVN. Um, just give you an idea that Word is also won by people who invent things like TCP, IP, Java, web browser. Uh, so my software has reached every billions, literally many, many billions of people. using every cell phone, every smart device, uh, Android, iOS, every watch, uh, smartwatch out there. So it's giving me a taste what, you know, the open source software impact can be and how powerful it is, right? Give me the thirst to do something big again. And... After 10 years at Apple, I was recruited to Facebook, we were also building our organization. But then in a couple of years in, I sort of got the crypto bug. Uh, I think this is about 2017, maybe. Uh, I saw opportunity on both sides, right? One is, well, the opportunity for this technology to deliver massive impact through the world. And also my personal opportunity for delivering impact because I saw some very, very critical mistakes in the design of, you know, Ethereans and and others, right? And I think that's unsolvable. Uh, It doesn't even seem to be a recognition of how broken they are, Uh, you know, specifically things around stability and more, and more. And so I saw, hey, this will be great opportunity for me to sort of do that again, right? You know, opportunity to look at impact to massive number of people. Again, I love doing things as hard. um, So that gave me this idea this is something I want to take on uh, next so but uh, the tricky part is this is back in 2017-18 and I look around There's just not enough sort of the kind of talent I was looking for I want uh, to do some real serious R&D on this I want the world class experts in distributed system in program language formal verification in cryptography uh, economics and all that and I, I wasn't finding those talent that's interested in this space, given how early it is, right? It's a bit, also has a bit feel of a, a bit wild, wild west to a lot of people. Uh, so, so that wasn't possible. So I stuck around until the Libra and DM project came about. Uh, and then I joined Novi to basically run R&D, um, you know, there. So that, that sort of started my, my official journey into the you know into blockchain crypto world. Uh, fast forward a couple of years uh, in 2021 I it was very clear theon wasn't able to deliver on its promise because regulatory pressures and other uh, you know my co-founder and I left to start missing lab and, and since then we built suite and launched uh, just a month or so ago.
1: That's fantastic. That's that's an incredible, very long um, you know a view of, of a journey through all the different iterations of the internet. Um, And of course, along the way, you noticed many of the problems uh, for each phase. Uh, And and one would argue that uh, the problems that are occurring now in what we would call Web3, and we'll get into that definition as you see it, um, there are some problems that you hope to solve. Uh, So first, can you maybe uh, talk a little bit about some of the primitives that are used in each phase. You, you mentioned TCP/IP and you know phase one, and we had a social networks in phase two. Uh, what problems, and then what primitives kind of arose to help solve those problems and, and move on this this iteration, this journey?
2: Perhaps you're talking about like how the internet has evolved, right? So, and I think it's very important to go back to the premises of the internet is actually peer-to-peer, right? So allow any two individuals to be able to. Connect right. It's about uh, the ability for anybody to create a marketplace, right? So you know TCP/IP is very, very low level, right? Primitive, right? You have built protocols on top of that for emails, for file transfer, and all that. It's all very peer-to-peer, and that's powerful because it allows anyone to create a virtual marketplace. So you are not constrained; you are equal in the playing field. Fast forward to Web Two. Uh, Well, it's not, right? You know, the the web is extremely centralized, right? It's going back to, well, power law, right? If you have the network file, you have the distribution power, you get to control anything. Uh, You know, anything from content distribution, when you talk about Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, uh, you name it, right? Almost every single one of these platforms build on the, essentially the content created by user. User User-generated content, but most of the user never profit from them directly, at least, right? They, they, there's no transparency on how their data is being used for advertising. Um, then they actually can't take that connection out of the the product, the platform, right? Think about it. Your social graph on Twitter, you can't really utilize it outside of Twitter. Uh, same thing with all the other platforms, right? So. It's becoming very centralized, and there's a cost, right? People don't recognize um, the cost is being passed down to the customers, right? And if you look at it more directly, say application distribution channel, they all take a cut, right? You know, Apple with App Store is dominant, right? They take a 30% cut on just by everything in apps purchase, take 30% or whatever percentage it is, and also place a lot of restrictions on what you can. Can it cannot do, right? So it's like every layer sort of squeeze the layer above, right? The using the distribution power to squeeze. Um, perhaps the most subtle is the harm it has uh, on, on, you know, small, medium business, right? If you think about it, if you, you know, I bet there's studies out there, you know, uh, probably industry should do more about this, right? Small, medium businesses, the lifeline yes, is these kind of a, you know, using social as a target acquisition customer acquisition channel. Well, so while great, the policy of app tracking has fundamentally, perhaps Apple and others will argue this for the good, right? You need to evolve with the time to care more about privacy. But the flip side of that is, well, attribution is far worse than before, right? We saw this directly. Snapchat still hasn't recovered, right? Facebook has recovered some, but not fully. Um, you know, target advertising far less effective, far more expensive. All these costs are passed down to consumers, right? It's also very restrictive on what you can do. Um, so that's a fundamental issue here, right? When people talk about Web3, that's what's about, right? So can we go back to a world that's more peer-to-peer, right? And that's distribution, that's monetization. It's also about, even for brands, it's about reaching your audience directly, have that direct relationship, not through some middlemen that control access of the information. So a lot of things has gone wrong. And, you know, this is a technology that could shift the balance of power a bit more towards decentralization or more peer-to-peer. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. So um,
1: how, how, does the, how does blockchain technology and we'll get into your, your specific version of, of your vision, but how do you see that as solving the problem? What, is it the incentive systems that are broken? Uh, is it the um, access to a, a software stack or protocol? What is it that um, is really broken? How can, how can we fix it with this tech? Like, h- how does that work?
2: Yeah, I mean, let me give an example to illustrate that, right? So people talk about using NFT as a way for content producer to reach the audience, right? You can sell directly. Um, you know, so you have basically this triangle, right, content producer or product producer, the buyer, the consumer, and they have you a platform that help you sell. Um, well, right now, if the seller, uh, any one of these platforms, Instagrams and whatnot, right, you're you at the mercy, uh, how much, how they mo- monetize your, your your goods, right, and how much do they take. Um, the idea is for blockchain too disintermediate, right? To eliminate that and replace with software, right? Because if software is done, it doesn't have feeling. It's not gonna change its mind. It's like today I decide to change my mind. I'm gonna get more greedy uh, and then gonna charge you more. And there's more transparency, there's more trust, right? So that's the whole concept of behind blockchain is disintermediation. Uh, And I I can touch on that a bit more uh, because it's nuanced, right? Uh, but I want to say this, right? And so far it hasn't proven to be true, right? You know, looking at the NFT sales, right? What happens? Well, it used to be, you know, you pay royalties for secondary sale, right? Because we all know that's a lifeline of artists. It's not the primary sale, it's a secondary sale. You want to take a cut. Uh, the marketplace, right? These are controlled by human. They decided not to do that anymore, right? Not to enforce royalty payment because it's good for that. Right? to have higher volume of trading and look what happened. Right? So the promise is there, the implementation is wrong, uh, therefore your results where it's still the same, it centralized entity in the middle sort of controls everything, they utilize their distribution power for their own benefits. Again, right. I'm not like, hey, they need to make a business out of it, they need to make money, but it's about fairness, it's about transparency, it's about an opportunity to you know, define what's right for you, right? For anybody producing content, or the content is being used
1: and distributed. Yeah, it's interesting that the very network effects in let's call it Web Two that gave to the growth of social media, these power laws, uh, they were very beneficial to help us connect with one, each, one another. Unfortunately, those same network effects created kind of a disproportionate bargaining power between the owner of the marketplace or the owner of the social network and the individual participants. So, you know, you get the issues of censorship or uh, royalty splits or, you know, how it's monetized and who controls the data. Um, So I I agree with you that blockchain, this idea that you could disintermediate uh, uh, and still retain network effects. So you have public permissionless networks that could arise to facilitate the same kinds of connectivity. But without the compromises of having to give it to, you know, single aggregator all of your data and all of your monetization, et cetera. Um, so, you know, you saw Web three as exists now. What problem is uh, exists with Web three, right? Because there's a lot of people working on um, solutions for this. What problem did you see that you thought, hey, Miston Labs can solve it better than everybody else?
2: I mean, if the the to be frank, right? I mean, a lot of the existing blockchain model just won't. Uh, you know, I'm not even talking about scalability uh, uh, performance here. I right? am talking about the, the data model as well as the programming model, right? In Ethereum, uh, for example, EVN's most popular chain, right? Tokenization of content or assets is skin deep, right? You basically represent ownership on chain where the actual contents lives elsewhere, right? So think about it for a second, right? The whole point is for smart contract to process assets for you, right? Not relying on human. Well, except you're not keeping anything on chain. Right, <laughs> right. So, you know, NFT is literally just URL, right? Pointing elsewhere, and it's off chain, the smart contract cannot do anything about it. Yes, there's ways around it, hack it, Oracle, and all that's highly inefficient, right? And, and you can't easily change the asset, right? Remember, in the real world, everything changes, right? Today, I have a baseball, tomorrow, Somebody sign my baseball, baseball player signed my baseball, that's immediately worth a lot more. That mutation, the progression of throughout the life cycle for anything that cannot be represented easily, right? And, and cannot be represented on chain. Right. You're losing all that promise as a result for this, to be frank, weird and completely wrong data model. And um, people trying to hack around it, right, by by all kinds of things that's just not to the point, right? Um, and coming back to the other things, right, about the disintermediation, why is that so hard, right? Why is it so hard for for software to enforce things like royalties, right? And this is the important part. When you, you really need to think about this concept, what makes an asset valuable? What makes an asset asset, right? It's all these attributes, all the information. If I have a character, is a level one, is a level 10, this has weapons. Is an elf. Is a dwarf, and all these things are made up, an asset in-game asset, right? And and you know, so so these things are are important, right? If you don't keep the information on chain, you know, they all look identical, right? And also the rules around that, right? We talk about secondary sale of our artwork, right? You as a producer should be able to define, and say, I want to charge five percent for every secondary transaction, enforce it to so software, not to human. And why is that not possible and very very difficult on Ethereum? You know, I know again there's an effort to hack around it with validator participating and all that, right? But those are hacked, right? So your programming model is wrong. Your interface, say this is ERC some, something, right? Everybody implement according to the interface, right? But interface is abstract. Implementation is done by individual teams that implement according to the interface. You don't know what they do. You can't enforce it. You don't know if they're good or bad or they have a poison implementation they claim to serve royalty, but they may not, right? So you go fall back into social consensus. You expect all the humans to play by the book. That's just fundamentally wrong, right? Rules around asset transfer and creation, right? Are parts what an essence of an asset, right? So think about in things applying to securities, you know, Require KYC and mail checks before it can be transferred. Well, how are you gonna do that with this model, right? Are you assuming everybody's gonna play by the book? You can't, right? Has to be encoded, embedded. Secondary, sale, royalty payment, copyright, verification. These things are all essential. So assets has rules around them. So this is the fundamental problem with the blockchain data model, the programming model, everything associated with it, even ignoring all the challenge with, you know, how inefficient they are and how expensive they are, right? Because if you can't do that, you cannot fulfill the promise of the blockchain. That is, this intermediation replace human in the middle with software. Because if you cannot trust software, these software, they're managing potentially billions of dollars you need to be able to say ahead of time, prove them are correct. They have to be correct. They have confidence. Otherwise, you fall back to human, right? And this is why a lot of tokenization effort looks like, well, we do primary insurance on chain, but then, oh, by, by the way, we actually have to do all the secondary processing at, a, you know, consortium chains or whatever, because that's the only way we can control and trust it, right? This is why banks use blockchain, but in a private setting, right? You have a kind of fundamental mismatch about your intention and your technology. And this is why I think everybody will agree there's very little concrete disruption of products that we all use you know, from business or consumer side by blockchains today. Very, very few examples, maybe a bit of payment with stable coin, that's quite a great example because those things are simple. Stable coin is a stable coin, you only need to keep balance, and it's a better instrument that's done. But anything more complex, right, where you actually need to enforce rules around it, you actually need to know what the asset look like, you need to compose assets, right? Be able to track its life cycle, the changes of asset over time, it's really not that effective, right? You know, like people being hacking around and trying to make it work. But why? fix the fundamental infrastructure. Hey, everyone. We're going to take another quick break and hear
0: a word from our partners.
1: Yeah, and it seems, you know, at the root, um, there is a problem, you know, the Ethereum virtual machine, which is kind of the machine that runs the environment on the Ethereum blockchain, and Solidity, the programming language, uh, you know, that's used in many L1s, not just Ethereum, but... One of the fundamental problems as I see it is, it's not object oriented, which, you know, not to go too far into computer science, but it has some fundamental limitations that it can only be used essentially as a very sophisticated and immutable registry, right? It's just an indexing database that's shared publicly. Uh, And what you're saying is that you can have much more rich uh, programming environments that uh, not only can be shared publicly, but can be amended and can live in real time in the same way that assets live in real time, in changing ownership, changing content, changing everything that an object might be able to change if you're a developer, uh, you know to generically um, incorporate all of these other elements that right now you can't. So it seems like for a period of time, there was a mismatch between the rate of conceptual development, all these great ideas about how to fix disinter- and disintermediate third parties, uh, but the layer at the base really isn't sophisticated enough to realize that promise, and so you have to come in and kind of backfit uh, with these with these hacks. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about how your lab, how how it fixes that problem, what is unique about it, and you know how how you think this will solve solve the problem?
2: So if you look at solidity, where it was on, some of the things are wrong with it? Dynamic behavior, with reentrancy bugs right, you have delegation, you have all these things, that's basically make it not trustworthy enough, right, but you keep on finding bugs in them because, well, you just cannot analyze ahead of time to say this is provably correct, right, and that's a fundamental mismatch, right, in how you design a language for a smart contract, you need to be able to trust it because these things are going to manage a lot of money for you, right. So that's a very, very fundamental problem. So even back in the days where Facebook, we you know, recognized the need to have a much, much better, different smart contract language, no dynamic behavior, actually have asset as a first class concept, right? Allow you to have a language to describe all that, you know what an asset look like, not just a URL or balance, right? Something very, very basic um, ownership, models are uh, captured and modeled correctly and use the runtime as much as possible to enforce these things, right? Because another problem in stability is like, if you forget some kind of ownership check somewhere, you'll probably be in trouble, right? So lots and lots of bugs we were seeing about that, right? Hundreds of these kind of issues, right? Get all these things right and don't place a burden on user on developers, right? Because not everybody is a security engineer, right? And, and, and finally build the tools, right? you know, have specification, has designer language along with the specification language allow you to formally prove, formally verify the software is correct. It doesn't get better than mathematically prove something is correct, right? So all these layers of defense, right? It makes it much more expressive, much more powerful and correct and safe and all that sort of thing to do. Now, fast forward to sweet. Right, once we recognize, right, 3 needs to model objects, assets as an object, right? So they're free flowing, right? You know, and then we. And,
1: and is, is, is SUI a blockchain or a programming language or, or both? A generic? SUI
2: is a blockchain, right? So, okay. you know, it, there's a ledger aspect and there's a programming environment on top of it. I'll get to that in a bit, right? And that's a very, very sort of high level concept of that and it's not quite correct when it comes to SUI. But you know it is a blockchain, right? But three has a very different object model. I mean, data model where everything is an object, right? It's a data store where everything is independent objects, uh, and then you have you have address that own you know where your your own object live, rather than having the data trapped inside smart contracts, right? So, but that model allows you to do something even more powerful, right? because now objects are composable, right? You have languages around that objects can be you know passed and stored and can be combined. A lot of things you can do with it. The ownership model is much more powerful. You can be owned by a single person or unowned like something like a smart contract everybody can access. Right. So we iterate on that uh, to match the data model to really come up with a completely different sort of concept. Right. And the blockchain is also sort of Think about things very differently right so for the blockchains you think about tracking the history of assets being transferred right i send you five years and you send john 10 years right you track the movement of asset um but the assets generally don't change right you don't track the asset change themselves you can think about three as sort of another layer on top right you also track the state change of all these assets because again right you're describing assets as a rich type right the type you know character with level with race with experience and strength intelligence right these things change right so you also track the state changes on chain as well so it's almost like it adds another dimension right because objects are versions as a result so yeah so all that give us a much more powerful framework to you know, solve the kind of problem we talked
1: about. So this to me, this much more rich object oriented asset types, um, this could include all types of content like we talked about earlier, media content, uh, NFTs, uh, tokens themselves, but also within each object, the history of that object, right? That you've it's changed over time in its attributes and maybe ownership and, and or non-ownership, that was a very interesting concept. Um, now, doesn't this cause an incredible amount of congestion? How do you make this scalable? Is it, does it horizontally scale? And how, why isn't it subject to the same kind of limitations that uh, existing blockchains have?
2: Yeah, I mean, actually, we're far more efficient than any of the existing blockchains. Why is that? Why I first examine why blockchains are so inefficient. Uh, right, So you think about the programming model, it doesn't really track dependency. Right, It doesn't track the dependency between the... The asset themselves, right? Because that's the way the the programming works, right? It's very low level. Um, you know, everything's loaded into address and all that, all in the smart contract, right? So when you're processing transactions, you basically have a block of transaction. Well, conceptually, if you think about it, let's say there's a ten transaction that's sent from different ten different address to a dex. There's ten other transactions sent from on different addresses to say, NFT mint. Conceptually, these two groups of transactions have nothing to do with each other. Okay. Why are you sequencing them with concept? <laughs> in the first place? By simple, also all the information, and then you try and say, oh, I'm gonna sort them. And then you try to do some hack and say, I parallel execute them. Okay, let's say if you are successful at that, but there's a limitation what you can do that because you don't have dependency information you have to keep everything in the same address space, you know, sheer memory. Uh, and then finally, you store everything into the data structure of Merkle Tree. It's not just your transaction record, but also the states, right? Highly mm-hmm. inefficient, number of reason why these things are so, so, so slow. Another thing wow. that maybe people are not aware, maybe don't think about, um, well, think about this, right? If, let's say 10,000 of us all have a boy ape, Right? All 10,000 of us are trying to transfer our board a to someone else. Right? These are independent operations. In the Ethereum world, all 10,000 of us were sending transactions to the same smart contract. Say, please update your internal map to update the address of the new owner. Hmm. You see why is this is a horribly, horribly slow,
1: right? The, the, you know, just quickly, this seems like an original sin. In other words, um, when Bitcoin was first constructed, this this UTXO model uh, was designed to preclude the double spend. And so transaction ordering was very, very important because everything was fungible. Uh, you had to make sure that you couldn't send you know, one Bitcoin to Bob and another to Alice. Uh, but in, in what you're saying is that, look, we've got all these completely independent transaction operations that have nothing to do with one another, why do you insist still on that paradigm that everything has to be yeah. sequential,
2: right? Right. So yeah. well, this comes back to how three is designed, right? Everything's an object, right? The programming model is literally passing in objects, assets, and producing also up assets and outputs, right? So you have the dependency information, so you know exactly, well, these 10 transactions are targeting your the DEX, these 10 transactions are Targeting the NFT means let's process them separately, right? And if you can process separately. You can parallelize the entire pipeline. This is not just about parallel execution; this is about ordering them separately, right? Then you basically then you can sequence, you know, then you can execute them separately. Or oh, by the way, you also have dependency information to make parallel execution very very simple, rather than try to dis- discover, it, right, dynamically, and then you store the state changes in the object rather than storing the asset changes in the Merkle tree, right? Because the record keeping is done asynchronously, separately, every couple of seconds or whatever number of transactions be met, right? That's not part of the processing pipeline, right? And so all these things make it very, very scalable. And adding to that for own object, right? I own this NFT, I own the board. I'm transferring to you, San Diego. Why do I need to sequence in the first place? Nothing is going to contain with this object, which I own, no one else can touch. I just transferred to you. It gets executed and processed right away. You don't need
1: It seems the only limit, I mean, this this does seem truly horizontally scalable. It seems the only limitation is, guess the number of of servers that you trust as uh, valid to process their transactions, is that that correct? I mean, there's really, you could just add more computers to do these transactions.
2: Yeah, it's more of the concept of inter-validator, I mean, intra-validator scaling, right? So each validator right now is one machine or one core, but you can, you know, scale horizontally to a number of cores, right? Because it process things independently. But we haven't need to do that because we haven't hit that kind of scale in terms of usage. But that's the concept, right? So it's a far more efficient pipeline, right? It's completely different about how blockchain works, right? Uh, Because it's centered around the object data models being different, programming model very different. You know how we store things are very different. The processing pipeline cut out unnecessary steps, like don't wait for everything to be written to a Merkle tree before you process the next thing. Right? In fact, every transaction is processed immediately rather than waiting. You know, like think about it. It's like I want to send a transaction. I want it to be processed right away. I don't want to be wait to be grouped with a bunch of things that's not related to me to be processed together.
1: Is this um, still effective? Does it, well? Two questions, I guess. First, does this still have the same attributes that uh, we we tend to glorify in blockchain? You know, mutability could be public, permissionless, etc. That's question number one. And then secondly. Is it still as secure uh, for high-value transactions, um, you know, ha- not having you know a large consensus, for example, to deter attacks? Can you talk a little bit about each?
2: Yeah, I mean, it has nothing to do with those properties. Yes, complete it's completely permissionless, open, it's verifiable, right? And in fact, right, we say, we can build different kinds of like client very simply, so third party can verify things very, very simple. Because if you are a product builder, let's say I have a game, right? I know in this game I have, 10,000 user, each one that has a character that's an object on the chain. You just track that 10,000 objects. You don't need to traverse the Merkle tree, find the information, dig out the parts you know, right? We call it spot replay. Just read the things you care about, monitor the things you care about, right? So, you know, there's no sacrifice on any
1: of that, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, if I was going to sell my car, I don't need to go to the Library of Alexander, every time and find exactly where that sale ad is going to go. <laughs> wow, that's it's pretty pretty amazing.
2: Yeah, and in fact, in, in case of in terms of scaling the blockchain, and then the you know, the, the everybody's talking about trilemma as if that's the truth, right? It's like you know, scalability, security, and decentralization. Why is scalability a limitation right? We just established right this you can scale by adding more workers to each validator so it's not scalability it's actually latency if you increase the number of validators that needs to participate in consensus you know come to agreement it's a latency right so and also only impact um latencies of shared objects right such as you know, a DAX or something, right? If it's an own object, right? You process right away, it's a broadcast. It's O one. one I mean, O-N, right? Uh, so it's a very, very different conceptual model. So a lot of things don't apply, but there's definitely no sort of sacrifice or, or trade off in terms of security and and all that, right? It's, it's quite the opposite.
1: So, so for our watchers who don't understand maybe the technicalities of latency, we've got these computers and databases spread out geographically in time, uh, and they all have to synchronize with one another, each other to establish consensus, a shared state or truth that they can all rely on to make kind of forward progress. And what you're saying is that it's uh, the latency is only a limitation because everybody's trying to do everything for all computers sequentially. And that if you kind of break that problem up into different worker nodes um, and, and high parallelization, you don't need to worry as much at all about latency is that a fair statement no,
2: no, you don't worry about scalability Because right? scale is right this is very important right so when you have infrastructure that's has limited capacity, you're gonna have all kinds of problems right it's like you know the this is how we you know describe it as a noisy neighbor problem right it's like your role in the neighborhood is congested because next door is from your party, right? It's not your fault, but you're paying for it, right? It's like when Boy Apes do a land sale where the whole Ethereum network congestes, you pay higher fee because it's such a limited capacity, right? Infrastructure needs to be able to scale up to meet demands, right? So it's never a good trade-off to say you have limited capacity. That's definitely not the way AWS you know, these cloud services work, right? You don't think about it. like, are you going to run out of capacity for me? Then my business goes to zero, right? Because you can't service me. No, it's a latency, right? Because when you have number of validators that increase at certain threshold, right? Their communication overhead increases. They will have an
1: impact. So this is really an incentive structure if you think about it, because uh, you have to achieve two things, right? You have to incentivize new workers or validators to support the network on demand, right? This kind of load balancing, real-time supply-demand balance. Uh, But you also want to incentivize network participants. Does does this blockchain have a native token to to, to achieve those functions?
2: Sure, yeah. I mean, actually the tokenomics is all about that, right? Open market participation and competition, right? You know, the validators want to get into the top two-thirds Right, remember two-third majority of the staking power determines actually participate, you know, consensus, right? The rest don't really do much. Right. So it's it's never about the number of validators, really about the concentration of that two third power. Right. So you want to get into that, right? The way you track more business is to provide better returns for staking by making more efficient your service is more efficient, right? You're cheaper, your cost is lower, you pass on more saving, you know, earning to your customer. Then you attract more stake and you get into, right, or maintain your top top positions where you do that. Another thing they do is they do options every epoch to set the gas price, right? So you determine the reference price, right? So self-adjusting as a result, Um, you know, you, you try using the market power to drive uh, sort of essentially a healthy race to the bottom right they need to make money because anything that don't make money means somebody's subsidizing for it right solana others are are inflationary right they have more tokens so they incentivize validators right to keep, keep the transaction gas low but you're paying for it right Everybody is paying for it. Um, so we don't have that it's fixed right so it's it's about this healthy Competition, race to the bottom, uh, everybody improving upon their their service, right? And you, you encourage more usage of the network, right? And then, you, if you want to scale up, you scale up while keeping the you know the gas price low, keeping the cost low, but you service more, you make more money, right? So all these things, right? This is more of a you know free market, market dynamic, open market competition kind of model.
1: I see. So that, this never would, so until you change the underlying structure of how the data is organized, uh, decoupled from this serial or sequential process, until you did that, you then, even the tokenomics wouldn't work out that the incentive structures would would be, um, you know, it, it, you really have to fix the base problem before you can then scale up. So it seems like the approach you take, uh, you know, is, is necessary. There's really no, no other way to go about it.
2: I mean, I'm sure, you know, eventually there will be more iterations and more ideas around how to improve upon the networks and all that. Um, that's now our focus right now. We, we plan to stay ahead of any competition, right? But, but this is why this is important to design all the components work well together, right? You know, your data model, your programming model, how you process transactions, how you store states, You know, how you think about, you know, like client read path and everything has to come together, not just say modular, right? You pick your own execution layer, you pick your consensus data availability, data availability layer and stitch them together as if that works, right? Because then they actually may not work well together. So this is why a lot of the blockchain world has been stuck in that model. Uh, front line blocking, everything is address-based, right? And they very have all these this way of doing things that have re- hasn't really changed. At a high level, they may internally do things to make it better, some areas better here and there, right? You can pipeline things, you can do things that are clever to shave uh, communication overhead and all that, right? Those are valuable, but you have a fundamental limitation uh, that will hit you know, you're going to hit that fundamental limitation at some point in time.
1: Well, okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about the kinds of things people are building on the network. Well, first of all, has the network launched? Is it public and available for users and developers to, to try? Um, and if so, uh, what kind of projects are being built on top?
2: Yeah, uh, so it launched on May 3rd, so it's a month and 10 days so far. Um, Congrats. Yeah, it's, it's still very early days, right? We have a long, big pipeline of games. Uh, these are a lot of them like AAA, you know, very, very high quality games, right? We we think about games should just be games right now, just Web3 games, incorporate elements of Web3, um, right? So that's exciting and more and more them are coming on board, right? So it's, they're trickling in. Uh, you have the usual DeFi, you have the usual, you know, other infrastructure, you have NFTs and all that. Lots and lots of clever ideas. A lot of Deejay products are here. Um, bigger, bigger initiatives, bigger products are, are coming, right? You know, we believe for for ecosystem to thrive, you need grassroots, you know, active developer community. Try out new ideas and iterate very quickly. But you also need product that bring the customer with them, bring the fan base with them. So all these things are coming together. Uh, it's, it's been a very interesting first months and half, and we, we're seeing and learning about what works well, what doesn't work well, what we need to do to help our partners to make sure their launch are successful. Um, so yeah, all that.
1: And is, is the programming language on SUI also called SUI, or is there a separate name for it where developers can learn?
2: Oh, uh, it's called SUI MOVE, right? This is a MOVE language that was developed back, back in, in Facebook for the DM and BBR project. Um, but but we basically iterate it, you know, to adopt this object model.
1: You know, it's interesting because that project back then, you, you briefly mentioned the regulatory atmosphere, and what's very clear now is, uh, you know, I wouldn't say everything is the result of the way the data structures are set up, but we certainly have a significantly higher number of regulatory attack vectors because of the way things were structured originally. Um, why do you think that maybe this approach might lower the attack surface, not just from a technical perspective, but maybe from a regulatory perspective? Can you comment on that?
2: I don't know if I can comment on that. <laughs> I think this is this is probably a question that's best for me to skip because uh, whatever I say has no upside to it.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And that's, a, that's one of the things that's struggling um, in the atmosphere here in the United States. Obviously, there's a, a strong regulatory push at the moment. Uh, but I think it's important that um, those attributes of permissionless public uh, that is being retained here are, are going to be in the future the key attributes that I think um, regulators will, will be looking for to say, you know, this is a, a vibrant, healthy ecosystem. Uh, it's a place where builders can build and brands can come and uh, get exposure, uh, and really, you know, protect the investors. So uh, yeah, I completely understand. Uh, I guess, you know, last, last kind of questions. So you just recently launched, you've got people building on it. Where do you see this going in, you know, one year, five years? Uh, DM was a very ambitious project. It was going to be global in nature uh, as kind of this uh, currency for billions of people. Is this something that could reach that that level, that potential?
2: I mean, I'll go yes, right? So this is not just about crypto enthusiasts, right? That, that will benefit from speculation and trading, right? Uh, you know, that has its value, right? Early adopter usually has a lot of value to push a lot of, you know, they're very important in pushing technology forward, right? Um, but this is about when people talk about mainstream, this is one to go, right? We talk about it's not just about bringing people to Web3 it's also bringing web 3 to users right We want to impact product thinking product design so it will be less centralized right so ultimately that's what Web3 is about um, and that is a number of different categories right sectors right yeah we talk about gaming right because gaming one is well not as tight, highly regulated say, as financial product right you can experiment more freely right game assets can be, in a closed loop, right? You may not have value outside the game, you know, you know, so don't have come don't have regulatory concerns, right? You can more freely experiment. So early on you see a lot of gaming uh, use cases, but you're gonna see start thinking about some serious commerce use cases and then financial product. I'm not talking about just DeFi. I'm talking about you know, entry and consumer facing financial product or institution financial product, right? Because ultimately this is about disintermediation. You can think about disintermediation in two ways. One is you remove all the inefficiency in the product, right? Think about how payment works today is like, you know, every step the way somebody needs to, well, be doing process during business hour, you take a fee and passing on the message to another one, right? It's costly, right? That's why cost payment, Border payments can take 6% up to five days, right? Highly inefficient, right? And think about all the other kind of product. Uh, You know, another example is like buying a house. You have to sign escrow. You have to give money to somebody else who take it and say, okay, transaction completed. I'm going to give release the money, right? So these things are all intermediary that serve a function of providing trust. And that trust can be done replaced with software that you 100% verifiable, right? So there's a lot of changes to come in terms of product, right? And all spectrum. So a lot of things we are doing is sort of work with partners on these kind of product, you know, doing some of the experimentation ourselves, building some of the first party apps, uh, and also providing key infrastructure, right? We're about to very soon launch ZK logging, right? Think about using your web two identity to create your, you know, attestation on-chain, right? Then you could create, login with your Google and everything's done for you. You don't have to manage your, your keys anymore, right? And all that sort of thing, right? May not be for the crypto native, or may not be worth, be considered okay if you have a account that's, you know, have millions of dollars in it, but probably just fine for gaming, probably, probably fine for commerce, right? Or, or other use cases, right? Lowering the friction product, right? You know, imagine having that and plus sponsored transaction, all of a sudden you abstract away a lot of concept. Logging with Google into a Web3 app, and the app pay gas for you, you never have to think about crypto anymore, right? All these things we're building have powerful, you know, kind of impact on how products are going to be designed, right, which is going to be to keep doing this type of work uh, to push the field forward.
1: 100% agree. You know, I think the measure of success is when everybody's on Web3 and doesn't even know it, right? That it's all abstracted and has become so ubiquitous. And the kind of the paradigm shift you mentioned in how businesses and products are constructed uh, really are is inverted. And so, I, you know, I, I I share I share um, your vision there. Thank you so much, Evan, for coming on. I hope that we'll have you back on Real Vision uh, soon. Keep going on the on the journey uh hope to see you again
2: thank you for having me it's it's being an absolute blast speaking oh, yeah. thank you
0: what's up revolutionaries thanks for tuning in for more content like this head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance